and the church membership fails to see that as their role, mm-hmm. then you have all these people just wondering and floundering about what am I supposed to do in life? One of the things that was a red flag to me was if you are um, saying that you're wanting to be in this, this spot vocationally, but you have not been actively involved in church, then it it shows. There you that, go again, Jay. Yeah. It's all local church with you. But it makes yeah, it, this gets really it, obnoxious it, after a while. <laughs> it's a right kind of, of sickness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it it's the uh, if this isn't important. Here's so you're saying that they that all of us, but we're concerned about the generation coming, uh, will capture best the beauty of the gospel in in the local church, or even even the only place to really capture the beauty and the responsibility with the gospel is is, is it coming out of, out of the local church. Hey, everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I am the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry and also your host for this podcast. Excited to have you with us today. Uh, hey, Gerald Sitster, in a classic book, uh, most people who go through some kind of losses uh, usually will receive a copy of this from me, or I will strongly recommend this book, A Grace Disguise. But in this book, he portrays us as as people, as believers, in respect to God's sovereignty, as actors on a stage who take part in the story that is being told. And uh, so I have loved watching, as I look back over my life, God work, even when things do not go the way I expect them to, uh, but realize that he is still sovereign, that he's still moving. And uh, especially in a ministry context, it's uh, very common for us to look back and say, hey, we did not at all end up where we thought we would. If you would have asked me 30 years ago what I would be doing now, I would not describe who I am now and what I'm doing now or where I am now. But thankfully, uh, God doesn't show us our future, but he does promise to be in charge. And he does assure us that he does what is best for his glory and ultimately for our good, even when there are twists and turns. And again, for those of us in ministry, we are far off track from where we thought we would be. It's also true that in those uncertain and unexpected times that we discover best, uh, I believe, how good and amazing he is. Uh, I I believe that if things went exactly like we thought, we would not be thinking too much about who God is and what he is like and what he has done for us and our need for him. So today we're going to talk about the importance of holding on to the gospel, that message, in whatever place God places us, because that's the constant, and we're going to have someone helping us today uh, to really explain that from his own story, from his own perspective Um, And, man, I can tell you, I I look back over my life, I I cannot believe how uh, amazing that gospel message is, especially in times that were unpredictable and unsure. Uh, So uh, Pastor Jay Moser, who we're going to be, Todd Mosser, who we're going to be talking about today, is uh, the senior pastor at uh, Carnes Creek Baptist Church in Toccoa, Georgia, not at all where he ever thought he would land. And he tells a story in a compelling uh, edge-of-the-seat kind of way um, of how he ended up here. And uh, he's been in uh, as a senior pastor at Carnes Creek for one year, but on, been on staff for uh, over six years there, first of all, as a youth pastor. Uh, before coming to Tacoa, his wife Sarah and he lived in Western Asia, where he coached American football for a, a semi-pro team. And while there, they had their first child, their daughter Bailey. And when they moved back to the States, they had their second child, Luke. And after Luke turned one, uh, Jay and Sarah started talking about having more children, and uh, that led into the conversation of adopting, which they ended up doing. And they waited two years, though, and had their third uh, biological daughter, Malia, uh, born in Alabama. And so uh, following that, though, they went from a family of four to a family of seven in about five months' time, and they'll be talking more about that adventure. Their children now rage in age from one years old to 16 years old, so definitely a busy couple. Uh, I cannot wait for you to hear Jay tell the story of how God has been so faithful and the gospel message has been so constant when things went far, far different than what he expected. So let's go to that now. Okay, I'm excited to have Jay Mosser 
with me. Did I pronounce that correctly? You got it. Good. Um, how do they refer you at your church again? You were telling me before we recorded. Just Jay. Jay? Well, mm-hmm. they, what do they call your wife? The first lady. <laughs> first lady. For some of them, not everybody. <laughs> okay. Uh, hey, it's great to have you in this conversation. This is uh, a first in talking about this this kind of theme. We're, we're looking, let me set this up and then uh, ask you a question. Uh, but we're going to be talking today about the importance of trust and resilience when things don't go the way we expected them in ministry, which is probably everybody's story. I would, I would think nobody uh, has ended up doing what they thought they would. And uh, one of the things that has been really important to me as I reflected on this, that when, and, and none of my life ministry thoughts or assumptions went at all the way I thought they would, but it was in those moments when uh, they did not go the way I expected that, and this is a general statement I'll put out there to get us started, that we have the best opportunity in those moments to see how, how good and how sovereign God is. Uh, so in other words, when things go our way, I don't think we would appreciate the sovereignty of God. So that, that kind of sets up the value of, uh, of this reality that things don't go the way we expect. So let me, let me start with this question. What are you most passionate about? And I, I would bet that that will be the thread that will weave through this whole thing that explains your story, your resilience in ministry. Yeah, um... For me, the thing that's been that I've been most passionate about has been communicating God's word, um, being able to interpret it rightly, believing firmly that uh, that the story of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation is the thing that people need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So whether that be in the context of an overseas uh, uh, mission work, or if it's in the context of the local church, um, or any conversation, the the most necessary aspect of of all of life is going to be the redemptive work of Christ. Okay. Um, so that's been the thing that's kind of been Con- there. Constant. Yeah, and, regardless yeah, as to yeah. what the setting was. Yeah, so that's been unchanged. It's, it's probably been strengthened you know, through your ministry. Uh, yeah, the, the longer that we've done this, the more convinced that we uh, kind of have, my wife and I have become that the, uh, regardless as to if it's somebody that you know knows very much or very little, uh, about God or themselves, mm-hmm. even um, that the the task remains the same. That we are to be able to to help introduce them to the God that loves them, mm-hmm. uh, to the to the reality of their own sin, um, and that there is grace available at the the foot of the cross. And so, helping people kind of orient themselves into this bigger story mm-hmm. of of how life gets explained well mm-hmm. uh, by God's grand work. So you started ministry with that. That conviction, holding on to that. Uh, um, I guess that I'd commitment. say when I first started, um, I guess being convinced that I wanted to go into some sort of more full time ministry with my life. Uh, my main concern was uh, that this is important. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to articulate it that way kind of grew over mm. over time. But the more that I I looked at it, and especially when I went to a seminary, and I had—I can remember my the first time sitting in a theology class, and uh, one of my professors kind of hinting at this. I remember just getting kind of almost mad mm. that this was the first time I had seen it this way, wow. told it this way, and it seemed like this should be the content that everybody gets. So, so basically, he what you were being impressed with was this reality that, hey, you're a pastor, the one thing, the one thing that should matter the most to you, and really the only thing, is the this message of the story of the gospel, the story of redemption, and that's something that you were grieving that had not been really... When it was, when it was first put before me in that way, so I knew okay. the story of salvation, sure, I sure. knew the different yeah. stories, but seeing how the different stories all work together yeah, and how when it when you see them all working together to kind of magnify the work of Christ, mm-hmm. then it takes on this, this different level of beauty that it almost seemed to be shrouded by uh, pulpits that would not articulate it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or, or my, it could have been my own fault in terms of just not listening. Sure, well. sure, yeah. Um, I mean, this is an interesting, uh, we could go different directions with this. So what is the motivation of a guy going into ministry, a uh, lot of different motivations. 
um, what what I love about this is that uh, the 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 pastor is being asked, hey, this is this is the thing that that we're commanded to do, and you are in a vocation, pastoring, full time ministry, and um, and this is what so you you learn that at seminary, capture that at seminary. Yeah, that's a good. Way to All right, let's uh, let's let's get into your story a little bit. You're you're pastoring in a relatively small church and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rural Tacoa, Georgia, South. Yep. <laughs> it's not where you started. That's no. not what you, you you never thought you'd be doing this when you started ministry, did you? When I started ministry, I had no intention of uh, working within the the local church body. Um, when I when I initially started um, looking at going into the ministry, it was kind of a bland idea. But my first kind of taste of uh, ministry formal ministry experience uh-huh. was um, overseas in uh, Argentina. Uh-huh. Um, I yeah. had the opportunity to go and oddly enough, my task was to preach in Argentina. And so that was my um, my first, I guess, experience of doing anything formal. You were uh, college or high school at this time? It was between my senior year in high school okay. and my freshman okay. year Okay, So this was a mission trip you went with, with right. the church? Okay. And so uh, getting a chance to, to do not just the um, the actual preaching, but almost kind of the romance of being uh, in a, a foreign setting, mm-hmm. and you've got uh, just this, you know, sea of lostness, and, mm. and it's uh, it was very captivating. Mm. Um, and so uh, when I when I came back, I I was looking at either going into the military or into the ministry, and I went to a military college and was in the ROTC program. It was a military school, mm-hmm. um, and so I kind of wanted to make sure that that door was not still available. Um, and the longer that I stayed there, I enjoyed it, but I had uh, the involvement in the Baptist Collegiate Ministry there on campus, and uh, I got involved there. And every summer they would allow you to go into different uh, mission trips. Mm-hmm. And so I went all over the world through those programs, and by doing that it kind of uh, solidified the fact that this is – this is what I feel. Okay, that was the shaping do. of your call. Was Very much overseas experiences. Okay, um, and so then when I went to seminary and I, uh, I continued to study, anticipating going overseas, and and one of the you read these different biographies of, of great men and women that have lived and died mm-hmm. overseas, and um, and that that idea of almost the the martyr, mm-hmm. you know, just really is compelling because you sure, get a chance sure. to to just really bear it all in that sense. But then uh, we we ended up so all of my classes were geared towards uh, cross cultural setting. I, okay. I didn't have a single pastoral class, hmm. um, and so I, my wife and I ended up in uh, Central Asia, and uh, I was coaching football there, American football, um, and we would have these students come over and uh, just work with us for six months, and it became very clear that I had kind of these two responsibilities. One was to the local setting, uh, learning the language and, and learning how to communicate it and trying to um, be a part of a system that was already uh-huh. there with our organization. And the other was to try and help these these guys um, be equipped for this specific place. Coming from the States to, right. to, to work with you there. Yeah. Can you, can you tell us where that country was or is that um, something that's best not mentioned? It, but, it's probably best just to say Central Asia for okay. the sake of, okay. of guys that are still connected to me over there. Okay. Um, but they they did a uh, – so these guys that came over were college students that would drop out of school for, for a semester mm-hmm. and give that semester to the work in that setting. And so we, um, we got a chance to sit down and kind of prepare them uh, for what they were going to be doing, but it became pretty obvious pretty quickly that as – energetic and as enthusiastic as they were, they were there were some holes in terms of their grasping the, the bigness mm. of the, the story. Um, and when that's missing, sometimes you don't have a framework for mm-hmm. how to answer objections. You don't have a framework for how to... Yeah, which raises this question again, what their motivation was. And possibly, does that, yeah. you know, that, that we'll probably end up talking a little bit more about this when we talk about the local church. Uh, which is what you're passionate about now, that uh, sometimes people are motivated by the experience. 
Yeah. And and then the whole the 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 vacuum that you're you're sensing was uh, the greater need uh, mm. com- being compelled by the gospel. And so that led to frustration on your part. Um, well, it led to kind of a unearthing the fact that this was something I was actually deeply concerned about. Okay. Hmm. Um, the, the longer that they were there and the more I got a chance to kind of listen to them um, engage with these guys who, mm-hmm. who had honest questions, um, they they were, were, again, excited to have those conversations, but they had a lot of places where they needed some shoring up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed the task of trying to help put things together for them, mm-hmm. um, try to help them see this, you know, this big overarching story that kind of explains how all the scriptures are thread together instead of these loose kind of fragments that, mm-hmm. you know, are, are just moralisms. Um, instead, this is a, a single tapestry that all is glorifying God through Christ. And so by being able to try and help them see this thing um, and really... I guess uh, hearing their their concerns and and helping see how Scripture addresses those, um, it made it to where that when we were coming to the end of our our time over there, um, we we had to start to evaluate: is this something that we are genuinely called to do, skilled uh-huh. to do? And my language skills were were not as as sharp as I, I might have needed them to yeah. be to, uh-huh. to say this is this is. We're too qualified to walk away from this, uh-huh. um, and so we started having to, you know, do some hard thinking, and uh, I guess come to the realization that this is not necessarily where God is. is Was that a hard, us. hard moment? Absolutely, uh-huh. and it wasn't necessarily a single moment either. It was kind of a uh, over maybe the last, the second year that we were there. You know, for for us, it was a two year contract, so. Uh-huh. The first year, okay. our, our teammates had gone ahead and said, we're in it for the long haul, and they made all the formal mm-hmm. changes in their contract <clears throat> set up to, to, to make To stay there clear. long term, yeah, transition. But because of that, it meant that we had to start ask, asking ourselves and answering that question, are we in the same track mm-hmm. um, at the very beginning? Mm-hmm. And my wife, uh, as excellent as she was in a lot of those, those places, um, it was uh, it was more clear to her, I guess, than to me that this was not going to, to be mm. a long term uh, fit. Okay. Um, and so. So what did you all start talking about that you would do in the next phase? Well, we we really didn't know, mm. and we weren't. We, we I guess it was almost one of those things where if I can't do this, mm-hmm. okay, well let's see where I am qualified. And I can remember having a conversation about this with one of my professors during a class setting. And he um, he asked about like youth ministry, mm-hmm. and I thought, I I'm just not I don't have the personality to do that, mm-hmm. um, and you know I, I don't think I could entertain people well enough to make them want to come and sit and listen to me. And he made the comment, well maybe that's why you should do it, mm-hmm. and uh, and that kind of just stuck with me. And so I uh, I kept thinking about that, um, and then about the same time as our contract was coming to a conclusion. Um, a buddy of mine who's uh, a minister here in town ended up taking a position here, but while he was still available, uh, this the church that I'm currently serving at reached out to him and said, hey, are you interested in this because mm-hmm. he's a local guy? Mm-hmm. Um, he said, I've already accepted this spot, but I know a guy, and he sent them my contact info. Mm-hmm. And so when we returned to the States, we were kind of already in conversation with the church, um, had a chance to meet with them, and sat down and during one of the interviews, the uh, one of the ladies in the, the search committee said, here's what their words, the students' words, because there weren't many of them. Um, we want somebody who can come and teach us how to share the gospel. Mm. And for me, that was... That's what you were passionate about with the students that would come right. work with you in it, it was Central a, Asia. It was a big fit for, wow. for me. And so, you know, getting to express that to my wife, and she was able to be excited about that mm-hmm. as well. And so we were... Um, we felt like that this was a, a smooth transition as much as is, is possible mm-hmm. from knowing not what's ahead to having something that's not just a a paycheck but a place where you can feel like that you're you're doing God's will. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was that was a big part of how we got to where we are. Um, but the 
while yeah, we it's were a, here. The, yeah, let me let me just interject here again at the risk of of uh, jumping rails here and going another direction. We'll 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 come back to this yeah. track <laughs> in a little bit. I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday, uh, talking. He, he was he was struggling uh, with the church that they attend because a lot of people are coming who. Uh, are attracted to the church, but his concern is, and his wife's concern especially, is that the gospel is just hardly being mentioned. And he he was trying to justify it, I think, a little bit by saying that, uh, well, you have to consider the audience. You have to consider the community, that they don't know a lot about the Bible, so you want to make sure you meet them where they are. And uh, and my reaction was, well, that's more reason why there, there should be solid preaching of the gospel. They They need to hear the truths. Yeah. Um, that seems to be something that, that frustrated you, but also motivated you. Yes, very much. When when we started looking at uh, the options for where we were going to serve, uh, being able to communicate the mm-hmm. gospel in the way that we felt that it was appropriate yeah. was of chief importance for us. Um, and so the arrangement between myself and the, the, the pastor at the church at the time was very, um, I guess, hands-off. He did not have... A desire to have any oversight in yeah. terms of how I did it, so it was an opportunity to me to have a blank canvas and to to develop a, a youth ministry mm-hmm. that was going to be the way I thought it should be. Yeah. Now, had you had you had someone mentor you to this point, uh, or were you um, in college? I had a mentor okay. uh, that um, was was extremely helpful in terms yeah. of just having a sense of identity and ha- helping me think through different things. Um, but during the when we went to the seminary and overseas, there was there was not a formal, long term relationship yeah, that continued that, on. It's important though, isn't it? And I it know is. that's you're passionate about that. I've seen that with you that you uh, you long to invest in, in the life of, of young people as well as in your congregation. Again, with the gospel, with that mm. big story. Yeah. Um, and and I think too when you when you're investing with someone young in ministry, and, and this could be a challenge to people who listen who've been pastoring for quite a while that when you're you're connecting with a young person <clears throat> who has a sense of call <clears throat> that uh, uh, as you're pouring your life into them you're probably helping them to uh, to be prepared for the, the uncertainties that they're going to experience in life so you're not left alone like you were trying to figure things out um, absolutely being able to provide and that's one of the things about the local church that should be there mm-hmm. is this that this is a a place where mentoring takes place, and we we say mentoring, but the Bible calls it discipleship. Mm-hmm. And so, the, when we see that as not just important, but as fundamental to the to the lifeblood of the church, you see this idea of um, of the church exercising its role in terms of how we we continually are growing into the likeness of Christ mm-hmm. together. And when the church and the church membership fails to see that as their role, mm-hmm. then you have all these people just wondering and floundering about what am I supposed to do in life when it should be pretty evident if we're reading our Bible, if we're doing what we're told to do in Scripture, um, it should be a lot sharper. And we should also have freedom to be able to, uh, I guess, to say it may not be full-time ministry, and that's okay, mm-hmm. or it may be for this season, and that's okay, because the the idea of being obedient to the gospel is is primary, um, more so than your your, for lack of a better way of saying it, your subjective sense of your calling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, so you you came here, and I know you you were still uh, adjusting to the change, somewhat grieving uh, the the loss of being overseas. Um, something happened that really. Uh, Kind of reminded you of how sovereign and how good God is, which again, as we propose in the beginning of this, that it's oftentimes when we're in those unexpected uh, moments in life and changes that we never thought would happen that we capture the best, the beauty of of how good and sovereign God is. Tell tell us that story. It's a great story. Well, there's there's kind of two parts to it. One of them you you already know, and one of them is kind of more subtle. But um, while we when we got back. You know, one of the things that my wife and I kind of lamented was the fact that we had spent all this time learning this this foreign language, and in a rural community, you you don't have a lot of uh, variety of ethnicities yeah, and languages, yeah. and so it's, yeah, we're not a melting pot uh, here yeah, in, yeah. in Dakota, Georgia, not at all. But we we didn't feel like or couldn't find this people group that we could be able to engage and mm-hmm. could make good use of what we had had been learning. Um, 
However, in the midst of that, one of the things that came up from being overseas and learning another language was the value of missing words um, hmm. in translation. Um, I, I had a time where I sat in a, a lady's home, my wife and I did, and I was telling her about the gospel, and I, and I was the, the way I was trying to say it was this story. Mm-hmm. And I kept using the word for story. Well, it turns out the word that I was using, though, uh, communicated a, like a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And so I kept... Are you talking about here in... No, this was... In, overseas. In Central Asia. Okay. And so I kept using that word over and over, uh, and it just... It was, wasn't until like a, you know months later that it, it I was informed that that was not the proper word. And I had felt so confident that I was using it correctly. Mm-hmm. And I had basically told the gospel as a fairy tale and not as a true account. Mm-hmm. And... So when Interesting. we <laughs> so when we came back to the states though and got set up in this uh, in the local church here, it became very <laughs> very clear that I need to pay attention to the words that we use. Mm. And so one of the like I guess you'd say one of the passions that developed from that was thinking through how we use the regular words that are no longer communicating what we anticipate that mm-hmm. they communicate. Mm-hmm. So re re saying words to explain them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd say sin, and then we'd talk about it as treason. We'd say, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the sun, but then we'd have to explain what that meant. And so trying to f- come up with new ways to say old words mm-hmm. became very important. So that was one thing. So we kept, the, we learned that while we were there, and that tremendously influenced our, our sensitivity to uh, our communicating. Sensitivity, but also the our appreciation for God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, had we not been in that place for that time to learn that lesson, I would not have uh, been capable of being able to, to speak the gospel this way to these these people. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm afraid I would have been um, functioning with cliches and yeah. things like yeah. that. Um, so as we continued on, it, it made it to where that we we had kind of not a not a niche within the youth ministry, but we mm-hmm. had something interesting to say um, because we were simply saying the same thing just differently. Um, but then uh, as we, we stayed here and continued to do this, um, one of the gentlemen that was uh, helping with the youth came to me and um, made the comment that he's he's on this, uh, this board that's helping bring in companies into community. And uh, for the for the town and this is here in Tacoa. Here in Tacoa, and so he said, "Hey, um, could you teach me a few phrases from where you've been, uh, from that language set? Because we've got a a company that is from that country, and they're they're interested in setting up shop here, and I'd like to impress them." Uh-huh. And so we uh, we were excited, and that's you know said we'll do whatever we can. You know, mm-hmm. here's some things you can do. Here's some things you can say. Here's some you know gifts, things like that. Just things that they would appreciate. Uh, well, it worked out for this this company to uh, move into Tacoa, and uh, they are from the same city that we lived in. My goodness! Um, and so they initially they it was just like a, maybe one or two guys, mm-hmm. um, and we got a chance to know them and build relationships with them, and we we were able to do a lot of translation work for them. Mm. Um, one of them spoke speaks English better than I speak his language, mm-hmm. but um, he ended up. Uh, using us to help buy houses uh, for people in his company, and mm-hmm. so we would we were in there for like the you know the signing documents and explaining what things meant, which was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But then after that, uh, there was just kind of this inpouring of of families, not just individual men, but families that came into the community, um, and they spoke no English, and their only source of of fellowship for lack of a better word was either within their the people from their company and with us wow and so it was this just mind-blowing uh i guess working of god and how in the history of tacoa i i I dare say there's never been this people <laughs> yeah, yeah. in this community. Yeah, and, and let alone others from uh, other cultures. And weren't yeah. you in a coffee shop and you overheard someone speaking in that language oh, as yeah. well at uh, well, one time? That that normally what ends up happening is you know you can kind of start to pick out uh, foreigners. Yeah, you know by the if they're wearing you know a certain color or their their facial features or yeah. just they they give off clues and so then you start you know kind of leaning in to listen. Mm-hmm. And then when you start hearing them speak a different language, you, you pay attention a little more. And uh, 
<laughs> it happened where we would we would run into these guys and get a chance to strike up conversations and um, we've had several opportunities to be able to share the gospel with them. Mm-hmm. Um, we've even had some of them in our church, uh, which was a first for our church. That's amazing. We had wow. you know these yeah because you're guys. you're a, you're pastoring a very rural mm-hmm. local. Indigenous and, group yeah, of people, yeah, aren't you? Right. The natives of Tacoa attend your church. They do. <laughs> um, and so, for it was a uh, it was a really neat experience for for us to have uh, you know Central Asian Muslim men in the mm-hmm. con- in the, the, the worship setting. Um, and it was neat for me to be able to see how our people reacted yeah. to that. Oh my goodness! Yeah, um, and they were very accommodating. Yeah. Well, again, side. just uh, you know, reflecting on the goodness and sovereignty of God in in a moment of of transition and disappointments. Uh, that's there's no better illustration of that in in this story. All right, you uh, you've adopted children uh, in the past years. Was that something? Tell us that story. But also, was that something that you and your wife were always planning on doing? Well, we had always uh, kind of had an interest in doing that. Uh, we, we knew that that was um, a really neat picture of the gospel, um, you know, how we are adopted into the family of God mm-hmm. through the, the work of Christ. And so we always liked the idea of it. Um, and we had talked about doing that when we were first married and before mm-hmm. that even. Um, it seems a lot of pastors do this. It's a common story. And I, yeah. and I think the motivation is there. Uh, because we're in the gospel so much, and we're in the story so much, and I, I think because we did it too, you know, we took yeah. we took two kids, and uh, I remember when I did it, there was just this this joy and in, in tangible tangibly uh, being able to demonstrate and to display the very thing you're talking about that's at yeah. the heart of the gospel, and that's our adoption in Christ. Well, it's the uh, it's that idea that uh, delight is incomplete till it's expressed. Uh, that's uh, I think it's C.S. Lewis that says that, mm. and. Uh, this idea that you know, at the longer that you stare at the gospel, the more it it longs to find ways to be. Okay, say uh, that again. Now, the light is the light is incomplete. Delight until it's expressed. I love that. Um, yeah, and uh, so that's definitely not my own, but <laughs> but that's been one of those ideas that's been really helpful in terms of thinking about. Okay, this gospel is good. It's got to get shown. You know, you mm-hmm. have to picture mm-hmm. this. Uh, you know, the the idea if you're going to speak it, you also have to mm-hmm. to show the deeds of it. Um, and so when, when my wife and I kind of along the same time, the, the same guy, a friend of mine who's a pastor here, youth pastor in town, that was uh, helpful in getting us to Tacoa, um, he had mentioned this, uh, this book that they were using. And he's good to just kind of say, hey, I've got an extra copy here. You mm-hmm, take it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was uh, Tony Morita's book, Ordinary. Um, and in the book, it, it, he talks about the, the, the call of every Christian is to, to do this thing of, of patterning your life after uh, God's character. And so you see that working out regularly in Scripture as um, as God uh, taking care of the mm-hmm. orphan and, mm-hmm. and seeking to protect those in need. Um, and so along as we were reading that book, my wife and I had just picked up the conversation of should we do this thing that we had talked about mm. in adopting. And so it was a real firm encouragement that, Yes, and my wife is always the uh, well. I, I, I'm good at leading out in conversation. My wife is great at at helping make things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she went ahead and and got the application from this adoption agency, and we filled it out. And it was like, okay, now you got to pay, you know, three hundred bucks. Are you in? Yeah. And it was like. Okay. And you had a couple kids of your own we, we have, at this point. Right? At this point, we have uh, we had two biological kids. At this stage, my daughter was, um, I want to say she was three, and my son was one. Mm-hmm. And we knew that this this process took uh, about two to four years. Yeah. And so we said, okay, we'll we'll go ahead and get started now. And so we jumped in, and um, it is amazing how how thorough and how full and long that process mm-hmm. is. And uh, over the course of the time. You know, we, we had a lot of turmoil within kind of our our, our ser- place of service. And so it was always uh, kind of this battle going back and forth between, is this the right time mm, for this? Mm. Um, you mean in the church? Or it, you were right, going we, through a challenging time. Right. Yeah. Not not with the congregation. Just there were some things going on mm-hmm. that were, were difficult. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, but during this whole time, we, we continued to move forward thinking, you know, regardless of whether 
things you know work out well with the the church setting like we'd like them to this is still the the proper mm-hmm. mode of obedience and so we felt this is where God was leading us so whether or not mm-hmm. that continued to work out this was the appropriate response how, on our part how many children have you adopted two two others right well we've got so after the 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 formal adoption process uh, came to a conclusion with uh, a birth mother choosing us um, hmm. We, she, so our daughter was born in February of 2017, and uh, about maybe I think it was about three or four months later, uh, we accepted the position as the the senior pastor mm-hmm. of the church, and we we were trying to figure out are we going to sell our house or and move to the parsonage that the church offers or stay where we are, mm-hmm. and uh, we eventually decided we will sell and we'll move into the parsonage, um, and so we did that and. Uh, about we weren't even unpacked i think it was three weeks after we moved in uh, a scenario came up with one of our our former students um who had kind of relocated a couple times came came up where she needed a place to live um and so uh we said we'd take her and so she came to stay with us and then her brother uh came and said, Hey, can I spend the, the weekend with you guys? <laughs> I see and, what's coming. <laughs> and it, it worked out for him to be able to stay with us mm-hmm. as well. And so now they're, um, they've entered into the formally into the foster care program mm-hmm. and we did all the, the steps to become foster parents for them. Um, and so, uh, they've been with us, uh, we're, we'll be, it's been about 10 months, I guess. All right, so a total of, so now we have Five kids. Five kids. Two two of your own, three yeah, that two. are either adopted or, or right. in foster. Wow. Well, again, I love I and the church has been very accommodating. They they Well one of the, talking about God's sovereignty, this mm-hmm. has been one of the, the things that as we we initiated our time as uh, the the lead pastor in the church, this this kind of all came about at the same time and mm-hmm. it actually I think has helped the church see our commitment to yeah. To doing what we say, um, to saying that hey, the gospel changes you, and it needs mm-hmm. to be worked out in, in real life. And so, the church has been fantastically supportive, um, and I think that this has uh, helped them trust us in different mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. Interesting, um, yeah. And so, this is, in again, in God's sovereignty, I feel like this has been one of those um, blessings for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. None, none of this else. would have happened had. had right you not taken the direction that you did. And if we had not moved houses, mm-hmm. you know, sold our old house, we would not have been capable yeah. of taking her because we didn't have a house that had enough right. space. Right. Uh, and certainly not her brother. And the church has actually built two rooms into the mm-hmm. basement to accommodate them for us, um, which is, for us, was mm-hmm. one of the most encouraging things that they could have done mm-hmm. uh, in helping us know that they, they are committed. Yeah. Uh, wow. Wonderful. Uh, great story. Great example. I love. I love the challenge there that you're giving. Uh, I've never really never heard of of it. Put you know delighting in uh, your light. Sh- what was it again? C.S. Lewis's. Yeah, it's <laughs> the uh, delight is incomplete it, until it's expressed. Until it's expressed. Yeah. You know, just t- challenge every one of us being challenged in a in to to be specific to. Uh, act out in our faith in, the, in a tangible way because it helps others. It's an example to others, uh, but it also helps us to keep in perspective what really matters and what we're mm. we're called to do and be. And uh, so I, I hope that that's an encouragement to people to, to, to whether it's adoption or, or something else. Um, let, let's uh, let's circle back to uh, something we talked about earlier, and then end with this. Um, you. You've talked a number of times about how important the local church is. You started your ministry sort of freelancing out there. It was a kind of a parachurch yeah, type of thing. And, and now you're highly committed to a local church. You and I were in a panel uh, discussion at the college here with a, a, a class, and you kept talking repeatedly about the importance of the local church to the students as you were challenging them or answering yeah. questions. And then um, I mentioned to you that I overheard one of the professors chuckle, and afterwards I asked what, another person on the panel with us, and and he he said, well, the reason I kind of chuckled when Jay said that is because uh, most of these students don't have a high view of church. In fact, very few of the students that attend have a high view of church. 
what's going on there? What you what what concerns you? Why why have you landed here? Why is that so important? And yeah, well, so during the time that I've gotten a chance to work with the youth, um, you get it. You get a sense of kind of where culture is going by watching uh, those who are are being indoctrinated mm-hmm. into it. Um, and you start realizing that not just with the ones that we have, but the ones that are not going anywhere. So I'd go to the high school and I'd, I'd eat lunch with students and um, and getting to hear the way that they framed their, their concerns about their future and the role that the church plays in helping them figure things out. Mm. They, they saw no need to go to church. It was almost as if the idea of going to church just didn't find it to be interesting or significant or helpful. Um, and then you go and you read your, your New Testament and you see over and over again that all of life is framed within the local church, mm-hmm. um, that this is the, the family, the, the body of Christ. And so recognizing that you, even while we were looking at going overseas, um, we, we knew that we had this idea of being kind of Lone Ranger mm-hmm. missionary Christians, um, but that's just not tenable within Scripture. You can't mm. read the Bible and then say this is this is okay. Um, and then, so when we started uh, working within the church, um, you see the, the the role that it's supposed to play. Mm-hmm. You know, it's supposed to be the place that that sharpens you together. Uh, that you are supposed to grow up into the unity uh, together. That you are supposed to um, go out and to do these these different tasks together. Mm-hmm. Now you, you're supposed to express this individually, but you do this even still corporately, corporately. With, with the body. Right. You know. And so when that's missing, and so when we look at like say the Tacoa Falls uh, College, they uh, there's lots of, of really good students that are coming out of there, but they don't necessarily all feel compelled to be a part of a local church. Mm-hmm. And so you then get this uh, downplaying of its significance because they're not getting involved in it. Um, and it's so you're you're saying that they that all of us, but we're concerned about the generation coming, uh, will capture best the beauty of the gospel in in the local church, or even even the only place to really capture the beauty and the responsibility <laughs> with the gospel is 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 it coming out of, out of the local church? Yeah. Well, when you have these these individual few people that are are uh, compelled to share the gospel. Mm-hmm. If, say, they are sitting in their high school and they're sharing the gospel with their friend and their friend says, I want that. Yeah, you know, great they, example. Okay, then and, what? And then where do they go from yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a, the idea that Christ might save you and then mm-hmm. leave you as an orphan. Yeah. You know, the, the way that he does not leave us as orphans is his presence mm-hmm. that is promised in, in the yeah. corporate body, not just in the indwelling of the individual, which is true and, and wonderful, but that you see it expressed as you have giftings well, given. Yeah, and, and the working analogy for you has been you saw orphans, foster kids, and you you, you give them hope. What's the way you do that? Come into our family. Absolutely. I mean, in a sense, that's what, that's what we're all uh, compelled to do or should be compelled to do. Yeah, one of, uh, one of the things that I'm doing, it's scheduled to happen next week, is I'll be meeting with that professor, Professor Chuckles, I'll call him. <laughs> and uh, and he's going he's gonna to bring a couple students uh, with him who are, in, in his words, very, very committed to the local church. And we're going to talk about this phenomenon today of, of this generation, the generation that is going to be really the leaders of, of the church, if there is going to be one. Yeah. in the future and, and really, really dialogue about this. So um, yeah. stay tuned. That's Absolutely. that one's coming. Jay, um, you're still young. Um, you're in your 30s still. 33. 33. And, you know, you feel like you've had a lot happen so far. And we've been talking about, you know, how we can't script our lives. We have no idea what's ahead. And that's where God best shows his, his sovereignty and his goodness mm-hmm. to us. Uh, how do you prepare for the inevitability that there'll be change, disappointments, uncertainty ahead for you? Uh, one of the, the things that I, I try to make a big deal about, is I, especially as I teach, is that as you're going through the Bible, uh, the need to be able to uh, recognize how God is displaying his character. Mm-hmm. And so the more that God displays his character through his actions, 
uh, and through the way that he's he is self-describing his his character, um, the more that you enjoy that. Mm. And so the more that I, that I do that personally, the more that I can get a sense of trust um, for him mm-hmm. and for his willingness to lead me to the place. Uh, that he wants me to be. Because you can take that with you. Absolutely. Yeah. That's I mean, transferable, isn't it? <laughs> actually, right. It, and you, and you, you know, think about this, that a, a lot of pastors, I've been there years ago, where we, we, we have a sense of failure because attendance is down. People are mm-hmm. leaving. Money's not coming in. And those things don't matter to me anymore. What matters to me is our hearts being drawn to the gospel. Our people... Mm-hmm. Uh, being overwhelmed with uh, the the reality of God and His presence and and His His life and His death for us, His resurrection for us, those become the the you know what compels me. Um, I, I love the fact that that's been a growing conviction to you that that's the one thing that matters the most. How how does that help you uh, sort of prepare for the future? Um, well, knowing that that God's goodness is is constant. Mm. And so sometimes, you know, the scenarios are going that, uh, playing out that don't feel good. Yeah. Um, but that we trust that God is the one who ultimately makes all things, uh, as they should be. And I don't necessarily have to hold out that it's going to take place within this lifetime. Yeah. Um, and so the, the more convinced I am that this world is, is preparing me to enjoy that world Mm. more, Mm. Uh, the more that I'm convinced that this this world has has a a, a sharpening effect for me in mm. terms of trusting God, um, you know, if you think through it as this, this is not scripted by us, um, then it it makes it possible for me to be able to say this moment right here, mm-hmm. as terrible and unenjoyable as it is, is still available to help me love God better. Mm. And if you know, the what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to, in, to glorify God and enjoy Him mm-hmm. forever. If that is, if that's a true statement, then this moment can help me enjoy God more. Mm-hmm. Not to say that I'm going to enjoy the experience of of failure or losing mm-hmm. or no, but it gets perspective. It, it, it allows it, you to absolutely to it, gut it through, to gut it out, push through disappointment, loss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, you know, one of the things that I often think is that we are thinking eternally and our perspective is you know Colossians 3 set your hearts and minds on things above where Christ is seated uh, that for you have died and your mm-hmm. life is now hidden with Christ and God I that's that's that idea that doctrine mm-hmm. has kept me that I'm in Christ that uh, I've died to this world and what this world offers and I think even people in ministry get caught up in and this overlap of the world in ministry where we're looking for the wrong things. We're looking for the wrong measures of success. Uh, in closing, what would you say to a pastor uh, who's maybe disappointed because he's not doing what he thought he would be doing? Uh, he had dreams for ministry, yeah. and now he's kind of has to settle for less in his perspective. How do you, how do you speak to him? What can you say? Um, well, I guess I would... I guess encourage them, you know, as Peter says, stir them up by way of reminder uh, that that God's goodness is is not primarily given to us in your vocation, mm-hmm. but that whatever your setting is, uh, it is available to be a, a paintbrush to to work on the canvas of of praise. Mm. You know, everything that you do, um, whether it is as a vocational minister or if it is as uh, a faithful church attender, uh, it's you have the chance to, to love God where you are mm-hmm. uh, with what you're doing and look to be creative in the way that you do that. Yeah. Um, one of the, you know, is if we have, we had an opening at the church um, here recently, we looked at resumes that were coming in. One of the things that was a red flag to me was if you are um, saying that you're wanting to be in this, this spot vocationally, but you have not been actively involved in church, then it, it shows there you that, go again, Jay. It's yeah, all local church with you. But it makes yeah, it, this gets really it, obnoxious it, after a while. <laughs> it's the right kind of, of sickness. Yeah, yeah. But it, it it's the uh, if this isn't important, mm-hmm. um, if it's important to you, you'll keep doing it. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter if you are are getting paid to do it or if people call you by a certain title or not. Um, it's 
this is good and be convinced yeah, that this is that. good. And so in, enjoy the, the season of, uh, I guess, getting to be able to, to learn the, the vantage point of, of mm-hmm. everybody in the congregation, um, getting to enjoy the, the, the struggle of learning how to um, as, as express a, the gospel. As the song goes, love the one you're with, right? <laughs> to, to sanctify that yeah. song. To, sure. yeah, good. <laughs> maybe good maybe I should not end with that. Uh, I, sh- I need a Bible verse real yeah. quick here to, to uh, <laughs> sing some amazing grace. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, again, the theme today has been how we are best able to capture the goodness and sovereignty of God in disappointments. And that would be the best encouragement, as you're suggesting, to Give to those who maybe are not where they thought they would be. I, I, I often say that if you truly believe in the sovereignty of God and you're being obedient to him, where you are is where God wants you to be. That's and helpful. we will leave it with that profound. I'll, I'll end with the profundity here. <laughs> Jay, Good thank job. you so much. You did a wonderful job expressing, capsulizing all of this. And uh, I know this will be an encouragement to a lot of people. So thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed it. there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Before You Quit. If you have any questions or comments or maybe something you want to share with us, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. And don't forget, you can go to our website and listen to many podcasts, over 29 that I've done now, and also read multiple blogs that relate to ministry challenges. Uh, So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.